It is so good to see y'all once again. Uh, if you would open your Bible to the book of Second Samuel, chapter twenty-three. If y'all don't mind, I'm going to take this jacket off. It's just a little warm. Second Samuel, chapter twenty-three. I'm going to read. We'll be down through verse 11. 2 Samuel 23, verse 1. Now these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, said, and the man whom who God was and the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel said. The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spake to me. He that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be as the light of the morning when the sun riseth, even the morning without clouds, and the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. And though my house be not so with God... Yet hath he made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure. For this is all my salvation and all my desire, though he make it not to grow. But the sons of Belial shall be all of them as thorns thrust away, because they cannot be taken with hands. But the man that shall touch them must be fenced with iron and staff of a spear, And they should be utterly burned with fire in the same place. I read those verses because we always rejoice in reading those verses about the last words of David and God making an everlasting covenant with him and this was all his salvation and that's every believer, that is our hope and that is our joy and peace that God hath made with Christ an everlasting covenant. I think a lot of times we probably stop at verse 7 and don't read the rest of the chapter about these men who were loyal to David. Every verse in God's word is, is put there for a reason. A lot of times when we get to the begats, we just read over them. And there's a purpose for them. We may, we may not understand at that moment in time, but it all has a, has a purpose and a reason. The main purpose is to honor God and to exalt his, his son the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to look at uh, mainly down at, uh, I believe, verse 9 and 10, but let me finish reading verses 8 through 11. Now these be the names of the mighty men whom David had. The Holy Spirit's work is to glorify Christ. And how he glorifies Christ in the Old Testament, even in these verses, he said that these men were the mighty men of David. They are pictures of Christ. He honored Christ and exalted them in the Old Testament in pictures and types and sacrifices and all those things. So these men, the only reason that they're mighty is because they're, they picture Christ and the work of redemption for his people. Now these be the names of the mighty men whom David had. The Tachmanite that sat in the seat, the seat Chief among the captains, the name was Adonai, the 
Enoch, and he lift up his spear against 800 whom he slew at one time. This man, now he's a picture of Christ, but he's still a man. Like Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, he was still a man. And this man slew 800 at one time. And after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite, one of the three mighty men with David. When they defiled the Philistines that, that were there gathered together to battle, and the men of Israel were gone away. He arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary, his hand clave into the sword, and the Lord wrought a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to the spoil. And after him was Shammiah, the son of Agi, the Herod. And the Philistines were gathered together into a troop, into a piece of ground full of lentils, or this was a barley field. And the people fled from, from the Philistines. And he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. And you need to understand, these men, they love David. David's not on the throne at this time. David is a, regarded as a common thief, living in the cave of Dullam. But these men gathered around David. They looked to David. They loved him. And they fought for David, fought for him, stood with him, defended him. Here we see, it talks about in Acts chapter 15, verse 26, it talks about when they chose out men, and it said how they described these men. They were men that hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. These three I think there's 30-some names mentioned in this chapter. David's men, mighty men, mighty men. But what I see, first of all, I want to begin looking in verses 9 and 10, is how this man, Eliezer, is the picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think it was Spurgeon said, if you could take a needle and put a red thread on it, and could start at the front of the Bible and push it all the way through from Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation. So every time you turn the page, you saw a red thread. So every time you turn every page in that Bible yours, you see Christ. If you don't see him, you've missed it. Someone told me one time, said, if, if you, you know Christ is there in the scripture, if, if you can't see him, just wait till you can see him. And then preach him then. He's there. He's here. So I want to talk just for a few minutes about this man, Eliezer, verse 9. It says he was the son of Dodo, the Ahohite, of the three mighty men with David. When they defiled the Philistines that were gathered together to battle. Do you not see the picture? These Philistines. Every time, most of the time you read of David, you read of the Philistines. When he stood and as just a lad and he fought Goliath, who was of the Philistines, and killed that giant, they are picture the enemies of God. 
and they are gathered together against Israel. Do you not see the picture? How all this world and religion and everything that's in it gathers against our Christ and against our God. But God raised up Christ as the God-man, our mediator, to fight all these enemies. The first thing I see here, it says, They were gathered together to battle, and the men of Israel were gone away. One thing about all those three mighty men, they all were left alone. Here it says Israel left this man. I want you to see the picture, a whole field, maybe a whole valley full of Philistines. And as they see the Philistines coming, they are, they are just smote with fear. And they run. Not Eliezer. Not Eliezer. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he came as a man, it says when they came to arrest him, it says all the disciples forsook him and fled alone as our representative. He stood. They left him. They left him. When they left, I don't see that he rebuked them or he scolded them for leaving him. He didn't call them to return to the battlefield. Eliezer's brave example was rebuke enough. He's still standing. He didn't run. He didn't flinch. Our Lord did not. He stood alone. Here's what it says in Isaiah 63, verse 1. Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Wherefore, he keeps asking these questions. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel? And thy garments likened to him that treadeth in the wine fat. And here it is. He said, I have trodden the wine press alone. And of the people there was none with me. For I will tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury. And their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiments. He said, who is this man? Who is this man that his garments are just covered in blood? He said, I fought, and I tread the winepress alone. Alone. This great work of redemption. The disciples forsook him and fled. Our Lord said, this is their hour. This is the hour that I came into this world for. They arrested him. They, they beat him with a cat of nine tails. They, they plucked the beard off of his face and they took him to Calvary's cross. And even the father forsook him. Three hours of darkness and he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When it seemed like all the Philistines, all the forces of hell had gathered against who? Had gathered against him. This it seemed like their, their hour. Oh, we've got him now. He's all alone. And he won his great victory. Do you see the picture? They all forsook him. They all fled. And he did it alone. He did it alone. He was traveling in the greatness of his strength. Now listen. 
this work of our salvation needed no assistance. There was none wanted, none needed, none required, and there was none allowed. Listen to me. He didn't do part of it, and you do the other part. He did it alone. When he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. He did it how? By himself. Alone. Why did the disciples forsake him and run away? They were scared to death. You said, oh boy, I wouldn't. Now hold on now. You're made up of the same flesh. We'd have done the same thing. We're going to save our hide. But he stood. He stood. He drank the cup of God's wrath alone. He was forsaken alone. He died alone. He put away our sins alone. He brought in an everlasting righteousness alone. He did. The apostle Paul knew something of this also. He said, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. And he said, I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be known, and that the, all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Another example was Elijah. He stood alone as a single prophet against all those false prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Alone. Do you ever feel like you're alone? Feel like everybody's forsaking you? You feel like even God's forsaking you? He fought the battle alone. Alone. Secondly, what does it say? Verse 10. He arose. When everyone had forsaken him, he stood his ground. He rose up when the Israelites had fled. He stood his ground alone and fought with the Philistines. It says he set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. He stood his ground. He took up our cause before the world was made. He arose as our surety in the covenant of grace before the world was ever made. He became our surety. That's not a cosigner. That's a surety. That means that he took responsibility for all the elect of God to bring every one of them to God. Every one of them. He arose. And listen to me. God has always looked to Christ as payment for my sin. He never looked to me. He always looked to Christ. Why? He arose. He stood. As our representative. That's our everlasting covenant. That covenant of grace when God the Father and God the Son trying to, I'm just trying to illustrate it so that we and our little peanut minds can understand they shook hands. And he said, I will take responsibility for them. He was the Lamb of God crucified before the foundation of the world. He, he arose. He arose. This reminds me of when our Lord was in the garden and they came to arrest him. And he said, whom do you seek? 
They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am him. And they went and just fell backwards. And he said, here's what he said. He said, if you've come for me, you let these go. And you know what happened? They went. That's substitution. He arose. He fought the battle alone. Stood in my stead. That's my hope. That's my hope. So he did it alone. He arose and he smote the Philistines. Like I said in the introduction, the Philistines were always fighting against the people of God. This can picture a lot of things. This pictures the world, this world of false religion, this system of antichrist that seems to rule the world. Did you hear what I said? I said it just seems to run the world. They gather they against God, against his Christ, against his gospel. I love that story of David in 1 Samuel 17. Oh, Goliath, you know, he comes out against the armies of Israel every day just mocking them. He said, you know, what, you know what Goliath said? He said, send me a man to fight against me. Choose you out a man to come and fight against me. Everybody's scared to death. And David comes down. He said, who is this giant? He said, is there not a cause? And they said, well, come on, David. If you want to fight this giant, you've got to put on Saul's armor. Isn't that what the world says? And David's brothers even despised him. They said, what are you doing? Where's, where's that few that little flock of sheep you're supposed to be watching? You just come down here to mock the battle. And you know the story, how David, a picture of Christ, took a sling and five smooth stones. You said, why five? Some believe Goliath had four brothers. And he meant to take them all on. And David went down there with a sling and one stone and defeated that giant and took Goliath's own sword and cut his head off. That's the Philistines. That's the Philistines. He smote the Philistines. He smote the Philistines. He defeated all of our enemies. Our greatest enemy was death. He destroyed that old serpent, the devil. He defeated all of our foes with his own hand. He did it alone. He took up the battle. They were all gathered against him. In Acts 4.26, listen. The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? We're going to cast off his bands. We don't want this God to rule over us. And what he does, he smites the Philistines. The battle's his. He fights the battle. He did. He did. Something else, watch this. Verse 10, he arose and he smote the Philistines until his hand was weary. I want you to picture this. Can you just imagine one man against all the host of the Philistines? You've probably seen movies I know on TV when, when men would fight with swords. 
And everybody else has got a sword and they're ganged up on him. And he's the only one standing. And you just keep whacking and killing one right after another. And eventually your hand's going to grow weary. Listen to me. Don't ever lose the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ was a man. I can't explain that. But I know he was as much man as he was God. He's the God-man. The God-man. When you hurt, your back hurts, he hurt. He was made in the likeness of sinful flesh without sin, but he still was a man. And he grew weary. Here's what it says in John chapter 4, verse 6. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus therefore being weary with his journey sat thus on the well. And it was about the sixth day. You said, you mean Jesus grew weary? You feel pain? He felt pain. This teaches us that he's, he's man. Man, and like Eliezer, when he stood against all these Philistines and just begins to fight and the sword's in his hand and his hand grows weary. Christ grew weary. Why is this recorded? This is not to teach us that there was some weakness in our Savior's character. But this is to teach us that he's able to be felt with the feelings of our infirmities. Do you ever grow weak? Feel like you can't go on anymore? Seem like all you do is fight. The one I fight the most is you're looking at him. It's called flesh. By the time you think you've got him, Woody, whooped, he stands up again. Grew weary. Our Lord is a man grew weary just like us. Can you just imagine this, this man swinging his sword on and on? We don't know how long they fought. And his hand grew weary. Hand grew weary. You ever remember the story where when Christ went into the wilderness and fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and Satan came to him? And he said, why don't you, you're hungry. Why don't you turn them stones into bread? He could have. He could have done anything. What is that to teach us? He came not to be ministered unto even by creation, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Psalms twenty-two, fifteen. my strength is dried up like the potsherd. You know, this is a prophecy of Christ and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. This was probably a gory mess on that battlefield. Let me tell you something. Don't, don't ever think it's like those old infeminate pictures you see of Jesus, so-called Jesus, hanging on the cross. You see him with a, a piece of cloth, cloth Cloth around his waist. He had no cloth. He was naked and shame. You see a few little drops coming off of his wrist and off of his ankles and a little bit out of his side. Oh, it wasn't like that. The Bible says his vision was marred more than any man. 
In the book of Revelation, it says he was a lamb has, has had been slain. You know what? He's doing battle. He's doing battle. You know what he endured? He endured hell. My hell. The hell of all his people. His hand grew weary. The word wearied means tired, sick, worn out, exhausted, beat down, burdened. Our Savior was weary. He was weary with the fatigue of the journey. Weary with the cares of the souls of men. Weary with the burden of his own heart. The weariness was real. More real than we can ever imagine. Real. Hebrews 2.10 For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. When you grow tired and weary from the battle, remember this. He grew weary. He grew tired. Why? From the battle. But he didn't quit. And let me tell you this. God's people won't quit either. Those that endure until the end shall be saved. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not you being strong, but it's Him. Him. How many times have you not wanted to just throw your hands up and quit? Said nobody cares. You're just like Elijah. Yeah, Elijah stood alone on Mount Carmel, but go look at him just the next chapter. Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you. And you know what he did? He went running for his life, and he got sitting out there by himself, and God came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And God made a meal, and he said, arise and eat. You're weary? What do you need? You need food. What do you need? You need Christ. You need the Word of God. He said, you've got to go 40 days in the strength of this meat, but arise, Elijah, and eat. You grow weary. You grow tired. Your mind grows weary. Your body grows tired. Remember, he did. He did. He's able to be felt with the feelings of our infirmities. What's this? Verse 10, he arose, he smote the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand clave unto the sword. He would not lay it down. You know why? This is life or death. You imagine standing there. You lay down the sword. That's it. That's it. They'll take your head off. Though his hand grew weary with the battle, he would not lay his sword down. He, he could not lay it down. It says the, so, the word, the sword clave, his hand clave unto the sword. The word clave means that it was welded. And it was like his hand and the sword were one. And they were. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Welded together. I read from several men, Spurgeon and Gill and others, and what, so what did they make comments on this in pink? And they said it was like there was so much blood. You picture so much blood. There was so much blood run down his hand, they said it was like the blood congealed around his hand, and it's like it just welded that sword to his hand. He did not lay it down. 
when he was hanging on the cross, and it seems like he was in his weakest point, he said, I thirst that the scriptures might be fulfilled. All the word of God has to be fulfilled. He never laid the sword down. And when everything was finished, when all the law of God was satisfied for all the elect of God, he said, it is finished. He never laid the sword down. His hand clave unto the sword. Whatever happened to him in battle, he never let go of his weapon for an instant. When he was tempted in the wilderness, he said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And you know what your sword is? It's the word of God. God help us to find out what this book means. Don't you take my word or your word or anybody else's word. You need to find out what this book says. This is your defense. Sometimes I I feel like I don't even know God. How can anybody know God and feel and act like I do? I go back to the word of God. Feelings come and feelings go and feelings are deceiving. This is the only foundation. This is my weapon. This is our weapon. This is our weapon. He has fulfilled every jot and tittle. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Here's where religion misses it. They said that sword has lost its edge. We need something else. We need gimmicks and we need gadgets. We need something that's going to impress people. It pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save them which believe. That's what God's always used to defeat the enemy. That's right. That's right. His hand claved to the sword. Would not lay it down. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and his and of the joints in the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Our Lord continued fighting, even to the battle was won. He said, it is finished. And listen, he stood alone, he arose, smote the Philistines, fought to his hand, grew weary, and he did not quit till every Philistine lay dead. He conquered every one of them. Defeated them. Defeated them. It says, His hand clave unto the sword, and the Lord wrought a great victory that day. It doesn't say Eliezer wrought a great victory that day. It said the Lord wrought a great victory that day. If we can just get a glimpse of this right here when he cried from that darkness it is finished it's done the great transactions done the law of God is satisfied Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to all them that believe
All of the enemies were defeated. The law was fulfilled. Satan, sin's been defeated. Death's been defeated. Satan and all of his forces have been defeated. This is a war that has went on from the Garden of Eden until now, till then. The seed of the woman's going to bruise the head of the serpent. This enmity, he said, I'm going to put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. Our redemption, listen, it was accomplished. The heart of the gospel is substitution. Christ died for somebody, and if he died for them, their debt's paid. 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 The price was paid. He was victorious. And God wrought a great victory. As Isaac looked to his daddy and he said, Daddy, remember they were going to go worship God. They were going to go on to Mount Moriah. He said, we've got the wood and we've got the fire and we've got the knife. But we ain't got a lamb. And Abraham says, the Lord will provide himself a lamb. And he did. He wrought the great victory. Psalms 98, 1, oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. For he hath done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm hath gotten him the victory. This was done by him alone. His right hand of his power by the mighty arm of his strength. No creature could have performed what he performed. And this he did in a way of holiness. His holy arm did it in a way that maintains and secures the glory of his divine holiness and justice. How can God forgive me? Justice has been satisfied. 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 Isaiah 25, 8, he will swallow up death in victory. Thanks be to God which giveth us the victory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. And look at the last point. Last part of verse 10. And the people returned after they, after him only to the spoil. After the battle's over, now they're going to come on the field. You know what the spoil is? That's what's left. That's what he's conquered. That's what he's gained. I see not one word of rebuke. He didn't say, where was you at when I was out here fighting by myself? Not one word of rebuke. Peter denied him. Peter said, I won't deny you. But when he rose and I think he revealed himself, I think it was the Mary Magdalene. I think she was one of the first ones that came to the sepulcher that morning. And he said, go tell my disciples and don't forget to tell Peter. The battle's won. Do you not see the picture here? And they're going to gather in the spoil of what he's won. I read over there again this morning in Acts chapter 2 when this same man, about 50 days from now, on the, in the day of Pentecost, after the feast of Pentecost, he stood and preached. And he said, that same Jesus that you took and crucified and slain, God hath made him Lord. You know what he's doing? He's gathering in the spoils. Gathering in the spoils. He won the victory. He won the victory. 
read you a couple of scriptures. First Samuel chapter 30, verse 18. It said, David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. David recovered his two wives, and there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither small nor anything that they had taken from them. David recovered all. And David took all the flocks and the herbs which they had drave before those other cattle, and they said, this is David's spoil. It's his. He, he won the victory. He won the battle. And it says in Ephesians, wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men. In Colossians 2.15, oh, this is a good one. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. They said what that's a picture of, when a general, when he would win the battle, like the Romans, they would go out and conquer another country. You know what they'd do? They would take the king and anybody else of the enemies, and they would tie them or chain them to the back of his chariot. He's making a show of them openly. That's what Christ did. Alone. As our representative. He never laid down the sword. To save us. And we now rejoice in the spoils of everything that he's given us. He gives gifts unto men. He gives men the ability and the desire and the want to preach his gospel and exalt him. And it blesses and encourages God's people. That's the spoil. We have forgiveness. We have mercy. We have grace. We have reconciliation. What are these? These are spoils from the battle. He won the victory. It's already done. It's not due. It's done. Who did it? He did it. And like I said earlier, God's people cannot quit. You know what they do? They identify with David. We don't love Christ like we should, but we do love him. You can't lay it down. Cannot. Cannot quit.